have, if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to uh, turn to the Gospel according to Luke, and uh, chapter 2, <clears throat> reading a few verses of Scripture that are very familiar to us, and right at the heart of the Christmas message, we turn our attention these Sundays uh, to the Christmas theme and the coming of Christ. <clears throat> so Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 8, and uh, we look to God's Word at this time. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. <clears throat> An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. <clears throat> but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly then a great host of uh, heavenly hosts appeared, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. We look for a sign today. We have uh, to my right a, a replica of a manger. Uh, probably the, one of the big differences in this manger and the one Christ was laid in is this is a whole lot cleaner than the one Christ was, uh, was placed in. <clears throat> we know... Uh, uh, the word translated manger in our language is really a feeding trough. And I've never seen an animal eat very uh, with proper etiquette. In fact, they are messy and food is messy. And it's just kind of an unsanitary kind of a thing. But we look to the sign for the sign today. <clears throat> well, when I was 10 years old, my sister uh, uh, married a, a boy from Laterno College who was from upstate New York. <clears throat> And about a year later, had had a first baby, and uh, about a year later, he graduated, and they moved to upstate New York, seven miles from Canada. That's about as upstate as you can be. And uh, with the new grandbaby uh, that far away, the folks decided that, uh, well, we'll just take a vacation, and we'll just drive up there and, and, and see them. We had probably never been out of the state of Texas. It was more akin to the Beverly Hillbillies loading the truck up and heading out to parts unknown, and we had an ice chest full of sandwiches and cold drinks in the back seat, and Daddy worked at Sears till 6 in the evening on Friday, and we picked him up and, and, and took off, headed to New York, a long way away. Well, I'm, I'm somewhat embarrassed to tell you that I was alive before an interstate highway system was complete in the United States. And in fact, in those days, there were just sections of interstates uh, uh, completed. And so we, Daddy had heard about them. We had never been on one. We had never seen them. We didn't understand all about it except that there were no stoplights. There were no towns that you had to stop every uh, little bit. There was a consistent speed limit, and we longed to hit the interstate. <clears throat> the closest interstate section that was completed to our home in East Texas on our way to New York City, our way to New York, uh, was in Little Rock, Arkansas. And uh, after a mechanical problem just over the Arkansas line, we hit, <clears throat> we hit Little Rock about 2 in the morning <clears throat> on a Saturday morning looking for the interstate. We weren't sure exactly what it looked like. We weren't sure exactly how to find it. And after driving around for about an hour and not having any luck, uh, Daddy finally stopped a taxi driver who was pulled up, backed up into a parking spot. He probably was asleep and said, we hear about this interstate highway. Can you help us? And he said, sure, you go down, you do this, you turn that way. And after looking at us and surveying the situation, he finally said, just follow me. 
And uh, Daddy offered to pay him, although when he finally got through with us, he said, don't, don't, you don't owe me anything. And we, we whizzed around downtown uh, Little Rock, Arkansas at breakneck speeds at about 3 in the morning, just driving like crazy. Finally, in the middle of the road, the, the taxi driver came to an abrupt stop and opened the door and jumped out and ran back to the car. And he said, I don't understand. I thought you wanted to get on the interstate. And Daddy said, we do. And he said, I've driven you past the sign to, to enter three times already, and you keep missing the sign. And after talking to us a while, he finally said, I tell you what, I'm just going to get on the interstate with you, and I'll go down to the next exit. When I pull off, you keep going. And, and uh, what he didn't say was, get out of Little Rock and don't ever come back again, I think. But it was, amazing, it was an amazing event. This super highway was there, and we were trying to get on it, but we didn't understand what the signs looked like, and we missed the sign again and again and again. Well, in a very small way, the world in which Jesus was born missed the signs and missed the greatest event God ever bestowed upon this world. Because they were looking in the wrong place, because they had wrong misconceptions, because they couldn't understand it for a wide variety of reasons, they missed the signs that pointed to the Christ child. But within these verses we have read today in Luke's account, I tell you, is the whole context of why Jesus came and who Jesus came for and the, and the events that took place that led to the Christ child. And it all happens with a sign. This will be a sign unto you. You will find the baby lying in a manger. We have read that so many times, it becomes so familiar to us, it just becomes something that kind of rolls off our tongue, and we, we see a manger, and we just kind of think about it in that context. But what a powerful thing, and a very unique thing, the angel says to the shepherds, you, this will be a sign unto you, you will find a baby lying in a feeding trough. It's no wonder, or no surprise, that Jesus was not the only baby born in the area of Bethlehem on this particular night and week. And we know that there were other babies around because when Herod the king began to launch out and try to find Jesus, he ordered all the babies in the area, two years old and younger, to be killed. And what an interesting task it is to say to a shepherd out in the middle of nowhere, there, there's a baby born, he is the Savior of the world, and, and you are to go and worship him. If I was a shepherd, I would want to say, how do we know which one? Do we just find any baby? I know the star and all of that, that, that would, would appear and be a part of it. But how in the world would they find? And, and the angel says this very unique thing. It is the baby who's lying in a place he should not ever be. It is a baby not in the palace, not in the king's house, not in the mayor's home, not in a warm and safe living room. It is the baby out in a stall in somewhat of an open-air area lying in a manger lying in a feeding trough. And so these uneducated shepherds were able to do something that, that absolutely escaped the most religious people of the day. They found the Christ child. They worshiped the Christ child because they were able to grasp the sign. I want to remind you this morning that the coming of Christ and the things we celebrate in this Christmas season are not things that happen by chance. They're not just things that randomly took place and God kind of worked it around to fit into a story. Everything that happened in the coming of Christ happened because God ordered it to be just that way. There was no room in the end, and we criticize the innkeeper for 
for his, uh, his callousness and for his uh, poor treatment to uh, this uh, pregnant young woman. But in reality, there was no, end in the, no room in the end, not because uh, Joseph and Mary didn't get there soon enough. There was no room because that's the way God wanted it to be. There was no coincidence that Mary would, uh, would become pregnant and would give birth just at the very time that the, emperor, the Roman emperor would order all the men back to the place of the city of their birth. It was, no, it was no, uh, uh, not just a random happening that the order came through to conduct a census and count all the men. It was not just chance that, that, uh, that Mary arrived in Bethlehem about the time she was set to deliver a child. And it was no secret, it was no random happening that there was no room in the end. It all happened because God said that's the way it should happen. So that the Christ child would be born in such a unique way that even a group of educated and, and looked down upon shepherds could find Him and worship Him and realize that the coming of Christ, uh, the coming of the Messiah had come in a way no one perceived, in a way uh, no one expected. But the sign was a manger. And while there might have been other children born that same night in Bethlehem, or the week before, or the few days after, or why there might have been a whole city, why the hospital nurseries might have been jammed to, to capacity, there was only one baby, no doubt, no doubt, there was only one baby wrapped up in these, these uh, strips of cloth in a mummy-like way and with a manger for his bed. Sometimes we miss the glory of what God has done because we don't see the details and we don't understand the finely orchestrated way God invaded this world. He came and the sign was the form of a manger and you'll find the babe there. Then I'm intrigued that the message came to shepherds. Why in the world didn't the angels go to the to the most important person in the world at this time? Why didn't he show up at the Roman palace and Roman emperor to announce it? Why, did, why didn't he show up at the church and announce it to the preacher or the church board or the Sanhedrin? Why didn't he come and announce it to the royal guard or the people who truly believed? For we know there were some that truly believed in the coming of the Messiah in this way. Why was the message given to shepherds? And I'll tell you, as I've thought about that question this week, I don't have an answer other than that's the way God wanted it to be. It wasn't that there just wasn't anybody else in sight. They specifically came with a message and the announcement to the shepherds because that's the way God wanted it to be. And then I'm especially uh, interested in these two words of the angel's message. I bring you good news of great joy, for a Savior has been born to you. To you, shepherds, not, not, to, not to people from now on who come and find their, put their trust in the Lord. The Christ has come for you. Shepherds, although our world embraces them as kind of a, a mystical, glorious part of the Christmas season, shepherds, as a general rule, were not well thought of in their society. Shepherds were travelers in some ways. They, they wandered around the countryside leading their sheep while a family might take the youngest child to be the sheep keeper of their, of their little herd of, of animals. Uh, there were very few grown men whose profession uh, were, was out of shepherding. It was not a desired job. There were no little kids in, in first grade holding their hands up saying, I hope I grow up to be a shepherd. It was not that kind of a glamorous job. 
shepherds had a bad reputation in town. They traveled from place to place. They were not regarded as honest. They were men who could, who could take advantage of people in situations. They were men who could steal. They would soon be on their way to another place. They were hard to catch, and they had a very poor reputation. In, some, in the time of Paul, in some Jewish courts, the testimony of a shepherd would not count. In fact, if the only witness there was to a crime was that of a shepherd, the person would never be convicted because of the testimony of a shepherd. But there was also some other, something else about the shepherds. The Jewish religious hierarchy did not accept them because their way of life made it difficult for them to keep all the rules of the Jewish church. And at the center of that for the shepherds was ceremonial cleansing. The, 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 the Pharisees had a process of washing their hands, and it was a ritual. It had become quite a, a spectator sport of sorts before they believed a person was clean. And here were these shepherds living out on the prairies and in the hills and, and, and camping out and eating what they could find and, and no great water source readily available. The shepherds were unclean to the Jewish folks. A shepherd would probably not be allowed in the Jewish synagogue, in the, in, in the place for those who were right with God. These shepherds were not anything, any group of people to be, to, to be uh, uh, expected to do what's right. And yet, the angel came to the shepherds with the message, Christ has been born for you. That gives me great hope, because if God takes the most, uh, the most unobvious person in society, if God takes those who the church has rejected, if God takes those who the church in religious uh, setting has said, you don't keep the rules enough, and you're not part of us, and you're not welcome, and you're not wanted, and we don't believe you, and we don't like you, if God uh, gives the message to that group of people to say that the Christ child has come for you, that gives me great hope that He will accept me with my background, with what I've done, with, with the way things have been in my life and your life the same. He will accept us. You'll find, a, you'll find a baby. This will be a sign unto you. The baby will be wrapped in strips of clothing, which is fairly normal, but lying in a manger. And for the shepherds, He has come for you. I want to remind you this morning of a few things. First of all, I want to remind you that God came in a very surprising way. We've already talked about it just a little bit. God came in the most unexpected way possible. No one in the the religious world believed that, that God would come in the form of a helpless baby, even though Isaiah told them he was going to 600 years before. God came in a most unusual way, and as I've said, all of the events that, that, uh, that take place that are a part of our understanding of the Christmas story were ordered and directed by God. Nothing happened by chance. God was in control all the time. Christ entered this world, not just to redeem our world, but Christ entered the world to live the life you and I live, to understand what it is to hurt to understand what it is to be betrayed, to understand what it is to have pain inflicted on you, to understand what it is to have relationships fail and to see the effects of sin and to experience temptation. He came as a helpless, totally dependent baby, all under the direction of God. And the men just didn't show up in their town by chance to be counted and 
the time of the birth of Christ coincided with Joseph's trip to Beth- Bethlehem, not by chance, all orchestrated by God. I want to tell you that if a God is able to have attention on such details as that, we can place our trust in Him because He doesn't leave anything to chance. He is in direct, he is in direct control. He is large. He is in charge. And if He's in charge of the world and the greatest event that ever happened in the world, He is able to take care of my life and to guide me and to orchestrate the affairs and events of my life, not only to accomplish His will, but to be a blessing to me as well. The real meaning and message of Christmas has to be found in part in the fact that God orchestrated every event uh, uh, that took place. And then I, I find, again, as I've already said, I find great attention in the fact that the Savior, the angels preached to the shepherds, By the way, preaching is really delivering the message of God, and that's what the angels did. And to this group of shepherds who they scared to death, the shepherds were the last person ever expecting to be connected with the birth of Christ. They were out on the hillside. They had got their sheep in a protected area for the night. Perhaps they had built a little fire to warm themselves and find some food, and were kind of, they had doctored the sheep, and they had counted the sheep, and made sure all were accounted for, and in the healthiest way they could be, and maybe they ate a little bit, and then bursting through the nighttime sky was, a, was an angel who said, I have a message of God for you. I am going to preach to you. There has been born this day in the city of David a Savior, and He came just for you. And if you don't believe me, go and see for yourself. And God will give you a sign to let you know you're right. You'll find a baby lying in a manger, out in the open air, out in the stall, in an unsanitary place, in the most unusual way a person could enter this world and be accounted for, much less the King of Kings. And God's message to the shepherd is His message to us today. Some of us here have things in our background that no one knows. Some of us here, no doubt, in a crowd like this have, have had things that we've done and been a part of that perhaps we're ashamed of, perhaps we realize we're so wrong, perhaps we've carried the guilt of those things for years and years. Some of us have let the enemy beat us up over those things again and again and again. And maybe even tell us that those things are so bad they can't be redeemed or God's not sure if He can really help you. But the message of the angels to the shepherds is just the opposite of that. I have come for you. I don't care what the church says about you. I don't care what society thinks about you. I don't know how you're looked down on and condemned and you're deemed to be unclean or whatever it might be. I have come for you. The King of kings and Lord of lords left the glory and splendor of heaven, took the form of a baby to come just for a group of unrespected shepherds. And if he did it for the shepherds, I say again, He will accept you and I right where we are with our past, with our background, with the events that uh, we perhaps are ashamed of, things no one knows. Whosoever will, the Bible says, may come unto him. And the fact that the coming of Christ was announced to this group of shepherds gives us great encouragement today that God can redeem all of us. Amen. Everybody ought to say amen to that. God can take care of all of it. It doesn't matter what people say or what people think or what we've done. He came for us. And the baby in a manger, we know, will grow up to be the, the, the blessed Messiah and is the coming king to reclaim those who trust in him. The Christmas message ought to be a time of great encouragement for all of us because Christ came for the shepherds. And then I'm reminded this morning, that Jesus literally left everything 
to come into this world. We read the great verse of Scripture in Philippians that, uh, that uh, we read at the Advent candle that Jesus didn't think equality with God was something to be kept. I'm paraphrasing. But laid aside His deity to come into this world to take the form, uh, to come into this world in the form of a, of a baby, leaving it all behind. If it didn't work, he's, he's left out. He's stuck. But he laid it all behind, behind him and left the glory and splendor of a heavenly place to come into this world in the form of a baby, to, uh, to be born into the home of paupers, to live an unsanitary, in an unsanitary setting, uh, to be in poverty all of his life. And I, and I thought about this week when they hung Christ on the cross. The only thing he had that they could divide up among themselves was his clothes. He laid it all aside. Literally. That's not just figuratively. That's not just some biblical mumbo-jumbo where we say one thing and we act like something else. He laid it all aside. Taking the form of a helpless baby born in a most unusual setting so that we might experience life and life eternal. Born far from home, uh, had to flee for his life one time, lived and died without, knowing, without owning much of anything as far as we know. He laid it all aside so that he could come in this world and be our Savior. For when the angel says to the shepherds, unto you this day is born, that you is also us. He came for us. And, and the Christmas time and the Christmas story ought to be a time of great, wonderful rejoicing because Christ came. And so the message is to the shepherds, a baby's been born, you ought to go worship him. He's the King of kings, Lord of lords, he's the Savior to all. He came for you, and you ought to go see him tonight. And you'll find him. Not because you've got a GPS on your staff, you know. You'll find him not because your phone can give you directions to the star. Not because there's an app of stargazing. That probably is about that on our phones today. You'll find him because I've given you a specific sign. He, he's, he's lying in a manger, a manger for his bed, a dirty, filthy, uh, uh, I don't know how to describe a, a feeding trough. Not the place we would want to put a baby. It is a sign unto you. So I tell you, one of the most sacred relics the church has today is that we have a manger that is now empty because he laid in it until he grew and he got out and began a ministry and proved himself to be the Messiah of the world. And we have hope today that God accepts us, that God receives us, that we are his, that he came for us. The message on this first day of Sunday of Advent is that of hope. We have hope in him. And hope begins in a manger. Let us celebrate the Christ child this season like never before. Focus on the manger. Focus on the sign. And don't miss it. It's amazing to me how many times the Jewish leaders asked Jesus for a sign. And yet the greatest sign of all, they didn't understand. Christ came for all of us so that we might have life and eternal life. 
Christ came not just to help us after this life is over. Christ came to help us in the midst of this life. To be in the world but not of the world. To realize that he who lives in our hearts is greater than he who lives in the world. We have every reason to rejoice today no matter where we are in life. Because Christ came to us just as the message to the angels was he came for you. Just as the message from the angels to the shepherds was that he came for you shepherds. Christ came for us. And everyone want to say amen. Hallelujah. Thank God for his attention to us. It started in a manger. Well, Victoria just wanted to go home after a long day in the city. I've told this part of this story before. Some of you might remember. She had been most of the day at a dance recital for a niece and driving across New York City on a cold, damp, wet night. A dark night. She just wanted to get home on Long Island. She said, build a fire in the fireplace, sit on the couch, and do nothing but get warm and relaxed. She says that she never saw the Nissan coming toward her. And she says she has no memory of the kid that hung out of the window of that, Ryan Cushing. And she has no memory of what was in Ryan's hand, if you remember. But as the cars passed by, Ryan Cushing threw a 20-pound frozen turkey at her car. It went through the windshield like it was butter. It hit with such force it broke, it bent the steering wheel backwards before it bounced and hit Victoria right in the middle of her face. The doctors described her face as, as that of a piece of fine china that had been dropped on a hard surface and just cracked and broken in, in more pieces than you could count. She was in the hospital for a while before they realized she would live. And once they got her stable, the doctors began the task of putting her face back together. She, her, her, her face was broken. So many bones were broken in her face that it had dislodged her eye. And they had to pull her eye back to the central point and take some, take some medical film and tape it in place for the healing. Her jaws were wired from broken jawbones. And her skull was cracked in so many places that the doctors, after several operations, finally secured her skull back together with titanium bolts. And she was quite, uh, uh, quite uh, 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 a person in healing. Great scars. Great pain. The doctor said, you'll have great pain all of your life. The good news is, we've saved your eye, but you got all this stuff in you. you got more hardware in you than maybe you have in some parts of your car. And you're going to live and you'll be okay, but you'll suffer the rest of your life. Well, you can imagine it at, at Thanksgiving, Christmas time of the year, how that news caught the attention of the city. And people were so outraged that such a senseless act would take place on such a, uh, an innocent woman. And when Ryan was arrested, the city cheered. And when Ryan was brought to court, the city held their breath. Nine months later, the first time Ryan and Victoria had ever been in the same room together, the prosecutor in the town was calling for almost a, a, a public beating and a death sentence for Ryan. And when the judge announced his verdict, the town got even madder. The verdict was six months in jail. By the way, he'd already served that time served. Five years probation. And you have to see a counselor. And the city went wild in anger towards the judge for imposing such a light sentence on him when he had done such a terrible thing. 
everybody in the city but one person. And that was Victoria, who stood up and said to the crowd, the judge has ordered the verdict I have requested. You see, here's a young man that did something pretty stupid. He did something terrible. He did something that ruined so much. He, he will live his life it, with, with, all, with the regret of all that, but there's no reason he can't have a second chance. And I don't want him convicted, and I don't want him sent to prison or reform school, and I don't want all these bad things to happen that you could rightly happen. She walked over to him and put her arm around him and said, Judge, I forgive this young man, and I want him to have a second chance for what he's done. And I want him to have probation and counseling and to go on with his life and to be something, be the young man that God has called him to be. To the amazement of the crowd, she asked, she asked for the punishment to be time served. And we're going to watch you ahead and make sure you don't do these things again. She took the pain and asked that he be set free. And that day in court, they unbuckled and unlocked whatever they had him held in. And she gave him her hand and told him to live right and do right. And he was allowed to walk out of the courtroom a free man. A baby came in a manger a long time ago and was crucified to the outrage of people who thought he should die, but he died on behalf of us so that when we stand before the judge, Jesus can say, time served, probation granted, unbuckle the handcuffs and take the shackles off and let us go free. The message of the cross of, of Christmas is that Jesus paid our price. He came in the form of a baby. He lived a rough life. They beat him up and killed him and all those things. But he stands today as the judge in our place, allowing us to find salvation, allowing us to be what God would have us to be, allowing us to have a second chance. We worship today and praise the King of kings in all of his glory. But it started in a manger with the message delivered to the most unlikely people in society, that of wandering shepherds. And the message still stands strong today. He has come for us. And we all say amen to that. Amen to that. And praise God. We embrace the Christmas season with new hope, with a new sense of hope, because He came for us. And the sign is that of a manger. Amen. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, we do thank you and praise you today for your word. I, I've read, as probably everyone here today has have read these verses so many times, it just becomes so familiar that it's easy to overlook the significance of what you're saying. We're thankful for the opportunity to be included in that group that you came for, and we praise you for hope that you give to us. May this Christmas season be filled with that. And, and a great sense of rejoicing inside because you took our pain, you paid the price for us, and we can have a life here for you and a home in heaven because of your coming. I'm encouraged to recognize that God controlled every detail. I'm encouraged to realize that angels faithfully preached your message and that Christ truly laid everything aside to come into this world for us. May we let you take control of our lives in this way. May we look to you for the details of living. And may 
we again express our hope in you. We ask you to bless us now as we move to partake of Holy Communion on this first Sunday of Advent. May we not get away from the parts of this service and the Scripture that, that so resonated in our heart. And we love you today. We ask you for your continued presence. And Lord, help us to be prayerful as we remember what you've done for us on a cross so long ago. You came in a manger. You left this world as an alive being on the cross. We look forward to the day you come in the sky to claim those who put their trust in you. Help us now with, as we partake of Holy Communion. In your name we pray.